Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. MotoGP's newest team is unlike anything a championship has ever seen before. A NASCAR team expanding into the world of Grand Prix motorcycle racing. A team doing so a year earlier than it originally intended to and consequently having to create its MotoGP program mere months. And it's also unofficially representing a nation that's generated bike racing legends in the past, but now doesn't even have a rider on the MotoGP grid. Trackhouse Racing launched its debut MotoGP program in Los Angeles on Friday night and the racer Simon Patterson was there not just for the event itself, but for an exclusive podcast chat with Trackhouse Chief Justin Marks that you'll be able to hear in a few moments. But first, Simon joins me, Matt Beer, and our regular The Race MotoGP teammate, Val Harunchi. Simon, you were following the Trackhouse MotoGP team story long before it became public knowledge last winter, and it's felt from the outset like you've been very impressed with how Marks has been conducting himself and going about this adventure. I mean, I think that the thing that has become that we suspected before the team ever started and that has become abundantly clear the more time we spend with them is that they might be completely new to MotoGP, um, Justin Marks and, and the whole Trackhouse organisation, but they are absolutely pros at running race teams. And that you know that's kind of been the, the thing that we were hoping they would bring into this championship that would be different, that they'd, they'd not come in with preconceived notions about what a MotoGP team is, but with loads and loads of business acumen and experience about... You know, putting on a team or putting together a team that can put on a good show and so far they've they've kind of lived up to expectations um i know that they've had a they've had a fairly easy route to building a moto team moto gp team to give them credit um you know it, they've inherited a squad that was largely intact they've they've taken that on board and then they've added their own touch um especially at a senior level but they've they've still managed to come in and, and make what was a, to be completely honest, a fairly dysfunctional squad last season as the uh, Malaysian team boss and Romanian sponsors and co-owners fell out and had a bitter, you know, public disagreement about the future of it. They've turned all of that around. They've made the whole thing look really slick and professional again, and it's it's certainly a squad that right now looks an awful lot more like the Petronas Yamaha days of this team than the uh, Whisper Crypto Data. Or an F for prettier days of just you know a few months ago. Let's uh, let's get straight on to hearing Marks himself talk about those last few months of pulling together this team. Then Simon sat down for a chat with him in Los Angeles a few hours before Trackhouse launched its program on Friday. Justin, thank you for joining us. Thank um, you for having me on what's set to be a pretty busy day with the covers off coming yep. off the uh, the bike for the first time. How? How has the process been so far since uh, since the last time we talked, putting together a MotoGP team in a month? Yeah, well, it's um, the it, it, time is is in one in some ways it passes slowly, in some ways it, it goes by too quick because we're just we're we're right you know right close to the to the first test of the year. But you know, honestly, it's it's probably been one of the more difficult startups for an independent team just because we're we're we've never raced in motorcycle racing yeah. before. So it's been a 
you know, it's been a huge educational experience, right? I mean, it, it's 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 not just about how we're going to get to the racetrack, but it's how does the sport operate, you know, building a relationship, uh, an operational relationship with Aprilia that really works well for both sides, gives Trackhouse a great opportunity, but is also additive to what Aprilia is trying to accomplish in the sport. So, you know, it's just a lot of details. It's just a lot of, you know, it's long conversations about seemingly insignificant things (laughs) that... um, that uh, that you know will become significant over time because we haven't been able to experience it in Moto Three or Moto Two or yes. World Superbike or Moto America or anything for that for that matter. So you know we come from the four wheel world and there's there are a lot of things that are that are similar, but there's a lot of things obviously that are very very unique to Moto GP. So it's been it's been um, it's been taxing on us. It's been taxing on Aprilia. It's been taxing on the lawyers, <laughs> and and really just you know really trying to understand you know how is this relationship going to work uh, well for both sides. But you know every day is progress, and we're we're at the um, I'll use an American football term. We're at the 99 yard line. We're we're <laughs> we're really just at the last little bit here, and and um, this launch is going to be you know really a nice uh, bow on top of the present. I guess that. You know the 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 flip side of that is that it's it's been difficult coming from a four wheel background, but also part of the reason that there's quite a bit of buzz about the team is to see what you guys bring from that world to MotoGP to kind of mix it up a little bit. So there's there's a, a good reward and the risk for the effort you're putting in. Yeah, I mean, you know, we've been we have been, you know, I'd say we're 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 approaching it from two two different sides. One is, you know, we're not coming into this pretending we know really anything about it, right? We're coming in with our hands out and and really, you know, trying to to learn and to understand, you know, how how the whole thing how the whole thing works. But there are things that we that we're really good at that we're excited about bringing to MotoGP and and really that's you know one of the things I talk about is that you know first and foremost we consider ourselves uh, an entertainment company that are storytellers yeah. and we want to be great storytellers we want to show the human side of of the sport because there's so many compelling personalities there's so much beneath the surface and you know it's it's a simple thing that we do we you know they, they give us a certain number of laps and we, they put us on machines and whoever finishes those laps first wins the race but it's there's so much beneath that and and you know track houses we've made big investments in our content team our marketing team to really show the human side of it show our personalities who we are what motivates us and not being scared to um you know to not show the moments that are that are tough the moments that are good and the moments that are tough and so when we think about bringing that to moto gp obviously we're going to be learning about the sport learning about how the championship works and and you know learning um uh, miguel and raul and everybody that works on the team learning about aprilia and all that but there's so there's so much uh, exciting stuff there that that we're we're really thrilled and looking forward to bringing what we do to the sport and really entertaining the fans and delivering a lot of value for the the partners and at the same time you know making a big financial commitment to making sure that you know we're just not a team that's on the grid for the show and and to be there to throw a party but but to really be able to compete and yes. i got very inspired through this process watching you know jorge you know compete with Banaya for the championship going like you know if you do this right and the bike is good and everything is clicking we can win and and that's what we want to do is win and we really want to show that journey uh in a way that that entertains and inspires and compels the fans to be fans of ours and out of all the things that you guys have inherited this season the two riders that you have whenever you look at the 2023 seasons that they had 
you've got two good storylines of highs and lows with Miguel looking so, so fast and then getting hurt through other people's mistakes and Raul just building and building and building and then ending the test, first end the bike yeah. fastest. You, you, you go into the season with two really good storylines to pick up. For sure, and it's really the same thing that we that we had when we started at uh, Trackhouse with the NASCAR team, and okay. and we you know we had drivers that have drivers that um, you know showed a tremendous amount of potential and just needed a little bit of luck and needed to be in the right position and get the right people behind them and get the right you know race cars underneath them. So it's the same in MotoGP. I mean, it was. You know, Miguel speaks for himself in, in, in his experience in MotoGP. Obviously, knows how to win, knows how to handle pressure, winning in his home race, and, and just, you know, and has that, you know, that confidence and that flow of knowing, you know, what it takes to compete at the highest level in MotoGP. And then, you know, you've got Raul, who, like you said, is, you know, finding his way and doesn't have the same experience, really, that, that, uh, that Miguel does. But... Um, has a tremendous amount of speed and a tremendous yeah. amount of, of potential. And, and I think both of our guys, what's exciting is that they can be winners in this sport. And it was really, uh, you know, incredible because, you know, we're, 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 deep in you know contracts and all the non-exciting stuff about <laughs> about moto gp and looking at the screens at that test at the end of the year and going like look at that guy like you know all right like that's exciting like this is you know like we got we got real speed out of that kid so um so yeah i think i think we've got you know those are just two of a number of elements that we have i think that that um gives us some confidence to really work hard and create a you know, an independent race team here that can that can be relevant in the championship yeah. and make some amazing things happen on the racetrack. Going going back to the process of building the team, what's been kind of the biggest challenges of it so far, and, and what's been the bit that you expected to be challenging that that has kind of fallen into place quite easily? Because I guess there's something in both categories there. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest challenge is is probably understanding, really understanding what the relationship is between a factory uh, team and an independent team. Yeah. And, you know, I brought a fresh uh, idea to Aprilia about us working a lot closer together, yeah. I think, than a lot of the independent teams do. And I went to Aprilia and said, look, I don't want to be a customer necessarily or just, just you know, a way for, for you guys to sort of monetize the year old stuff. I want yeah. us to be, you know, a four bike unified front and let's take Aprilia to the front of the grid together. And, you know, there's power in numbers and, and you know, that, that has been, you know, really understanding what it is that not only motivates Massimo and the Aprilia racing group, but, but what Piaggio how they value their Aprilia racing team. Yeah. You know, Piaggio is a huge company and sport bikes are a small part of that huge company. And, and, you know, making sure that they understand that working closely with a team like Trackhouse is delivering value to what they're trying to accomplish. You know, ultimately at the end of the day, it's about selling as many RSV4s and 660s and yeah. all this stuff that, that we can on the street. Hopefully we help them do that in America. But really kind of understanding that, that relationship and you know there's obviously the cultural differences of and course. there's a lot of historical precedent in MotoGP right this is this is how we've always done things and we're <laughs> asking questions that they probably roll their eyes to and go like why are we getting these stupid questions this is the way we do things it's like well it's because we've never been motorcycle racing before yeah, yeah. and so we have to learn that you know you ask what has easily fallen into place I mean you know a big part of it is is just that it um, you know it's racing at the end yes. of the day it's it's racing and racers are racers and um, um, you know, it's it's you, you navigate 
appreciate that sort of unique stuff. But at the end of the day, we're trying to just go compete and win races. And, and um, you know, that's that's been the common thread through the whole thing. So what are we what are we going to see you guys doing with Aprilia to build that relationship and to, to kind of take it to where you want it to be? Yeah, well, I mean, I think that it just starts with the fact that we... You know, we want to be on the same equipment that, that Maverick and Elise are on, just, yeah. just to be able to double the amount of data and information and feedback so the bikes get developed at, you know, hopefully twice the, the efficiency and effectiveness. Um, I think that's, that's pretty vital. Um, and, I, you know, it gives power to both sides, right? I mean, it gives us an opportunity to learn from the factory team things that we can apply on the racetrack and, and vice versa because there's, you know, four very talented riders um, across the Aprilia lineup. So, so I mean, you know, that's, um, that's, really, that's really, you know, on the racetrack, I think, what's important from the competition side. I think from the commercial side... You know, being an American team that can amplify the brand here in America through through this huge platform we have with our NASCAR team, you know, ultimately, you know, manufacturers get get involved in motorsports to be able to sell things on the road. And so, you know, we'd love to be able to be a partner of Aprilia and helping them sell motorcycles and building the, you know, the the, the brand affinity for Aprilia. Uh, in America and worldwide, um, so I mean, I think I think you know the way that we've set this relationship up, we can we can check a lot of boxes for them. And what I like is that, you know, Aprilia Racing is a relatively boutique operation, and it's it's um, you know it's it's a, a bunch of it's a bunch of racers. It's just guys like us, you know, guys and gals like us that that just that that love racing. There's there there's not a there doesn't appear to be a lot of sort of you know bureaucracy and, and kind of all of that i mean obviously we, everybody has bosses at piaggio group and everything like that but but i mean um it's a great group to work with it would have been a very different experience doing this with i think almost any other manufacturer on the grid so there there was some serendipity involved and i think that you know there's some luck involved but um i i couldn't ask to to embark on this journey with a better group of people than aprilia racing cool um do you have an idea yet what what the support's going to look like i know we t- I think we talked the last time you were on with us about maybe Miguel having one 24 bike and, and Raul in the other. Is that set in stone now what it's going to yeah, look like? It, yeah, Miguel's going to start the season on the 24. Um, yeah. Raul's going to make his way to the 24 at some point, I mean, as quickly as we can. Um, yeah. And really, at the end of the day, it's just a, it's just a supply chain and material sourcing and bandwidth yes. issue. I mean, you know... I went to Aprilia in October and said, you need four 24 bikes, not two. I mean, that's a, that's a lift on a company that was already working so hard just to get, just to get the 2024 yeah, yeah. bikes for the factory team done. So, uh, so that's where we landed just on what they're capable of doing. Um, and I didn't really get to, I didn't push too hard on it because I realized the time frame was so compressed for everybody. And I'm taking the long view on this. I mean, we're yes. not a one and done here. Like, you know, we really want to establish ourselves in the sport. We want to be successful for many years. And if that means the second 24 bike has to trickle in in year one, I think ultimately it's just not going to make a difference in the big picture. Then looking at the, the other side of the team and, and putting together a team, um, commercially, how has it been sort of starting a MotoGP team essentially from scratch? Like, has it been difficult to bring sponsors, partners on board, or is it... Well, you know, we've, we, we've, got, a, we've got one great partner that you'll see on the bike tonight that's been in the sport for a long time, which we're really excited about, made an early commitment to the team. Cool. Um, I've got I've got a, a company that in America that that's made a commitment to the team that that's been a good friend of mine and, and a supporter of my racing career for many years, and that's it right now. I mean, it's a track house bike, and okay. so we're we're um, 
you know, really, really the, the plan was to launch this team in 2025 and spend 24, you know, really yeah. going out there and selling and telling the story. But, you know, the uh, track house has taken a financial risk, you know, not a financial risk, but a financial lift, I should yes. say. And, and, you know, really sort of funding this thing ourselves to get it going. But what I'm excited about is that we're, we're having some great conversations with global brands, which is which is important to us to bring brands into the sport that are globally relevant, that everybody around the world recognizes. We're having great conversations there. And we have a great story to tell. MotoGP is the second most consumed form of motorsports in the world. And, you know, live feed to 207 countries and, and um, you know, 50 million followers on social media. And, and when you compare that reach to what it costs to race as an independent team, I think it's one of the great values in all of motorsports. Yes. And, um, you know, so I'm very, very confident that, that we're going to be able to bring some some really exciting new brands to the sport that not only are going to help Trackhouse, but but because of, of their global reach, are going to help the sport and yes. help get MotoGP out to, uh, to to new you know new people around the world. So that's why we're doing it is because you know it's it's first and foremost an incredible form of motorsport. Um, it's captivating. It's dangerous. It's sexy. It's like everything that you want in a form of motorsport, um, and um, you know. But it's but it's it's everything you could want at a, at a value that is an order of magnitude less than a Formula One yeah, type racing. So yeah. it's um, I, I just I think it works, and I think that we can bring a lot of a lot of value to the championship. Cool, and you know the the fact that you guys have. I guess in a way gone out on a limb to put your money where your mouth is for year one at least is you know that should be to me that's a pretty big message to anyone who says that you're only coming into this because it's commercially viable because it makes sense yeah. it, it, you know it's pretty obvious I'm talking to you everyone in the team is a racer yeah and you're here for the love of it not because it's yeah. a good idea as a business no I mean I I mean look there's there's a lot of a lot of owners in, in professional motorsport that that do it as they treat it as a um, a loss leader for their other billion dollar businesses. Yeah. They do it as you know for like B two B on their stuff. I mean, you know, we are race cars drivers, and we're race car people, and we're motorsports fans, and we're motorsport people. And and I tell people all the time, I'm not doing this because I'm a particularly good business person or because I built a billion dollar business and now I want to play nothing like that I do this because first and foremost I'm the biggest fan of motorsports that you'll ever meet I love it it's the only thing on television at my house (laughs) and and I I want to I want to do something special in a sport that's given me so much in my life Um, and you know you see that in the fact that I went to Aprilia and said, I want 2024 bikes exactly. in a hundred days from now, you know, it's because that's what, because I want to win and, um, and I don't want to just be there. Uh, I want to, uh, you know, going back to saying that we were, we're storytellers. We want to tell a great story. We want to create great moments for the championship and we want to create great moments for the fans. And, um, you know, I was asked earlier, you know, what are the tough, what's the toughest moment in, in, in your job and what's, what's the best moment in your job. And, and, you know, the best moment in my job is, it all the hard work, all the stress, the anxiety, the sleepless nights, the unknowns, it all just goes away when you're standing on the grid and you're 30 minutes away from a green flag or from the lights going out because you look around at all the people and the anticipation building and you're like, that's why I do this. I do this because I love it. Yeah. And I know that you were in Austria 2023 for the Grand Prix. You get a good taste of it there. That's a race that really builds the atmosphere and, and yeah. lays it on quite thick. I um, 
Yeah, and I was there, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, yeah. and I watched every single race on the racetrack. All you know, all four divisions that were there, all five with the rookies cup, yeah, rookies. Uh, all the divisions that were that were there, and and I was captivated by the Moto Three race. It was one of the most incredible races I'd ever seen. Was a Moto? It was actually the really the first Moto Three race that I'd watched from start to finish okay. uh, there, and I was blown away by that race. And um, and then Moto Two, and then GP. You know, being on. Being on the grid, being guests of Dorna, being guests of the yeah. of the Espaletas there, I mean, that's like the ultimate, right? So it's like, you know, we're on the grid and walking around and saying hi to Valentino and seeing Diagostino and like all these these guys. Like, the, you know, it was really, um, it was, uh, that was the, uh, that was really the moment where I was like, okay, I, I'm not here really now as, as, as somebody experiencing this event, I was like, I have to be a part of this. This is just too cool and too amazing. And, you know, you had the, the, the orange grandstands and the orange smoke yeah. of all the KTM fans. And we walked out to the campgrounds where the bars were set up. And, and it was, it was just, uh, you know, everybody who listens to your podcast. Simon knows, knows really well what I'm talking about, but I mean, experiencing it for, yeah. for the first time, I was, um, just blown away and was just like I got to be a part of this somehow we're so lucky that we have we don't have all of the polish of something like Formula One in a lot of ways right you can still go and do that campsite experience in in, in Austria in Saxon Ring in mm. Le Mans is next yeah. level yeah um, I don't know if you've been warned yet but it's, I have not but it it's, is next it's level high on the list um, so you, you still get that you get that connection with the fans that I think a lot of other motorsports lose or have lost and we're lucky well, I mean, I think it's in that way. It's a lot like NASCAR. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot like NASCAR because it's it's, you know, it's so it's so much more than than, you know, what's happening on the racetrack. It's an it's an experience. It's, yes. it's an experience, and there's so much there's so much passion. You know, honestly, we have this race in America at at a place called Talladega Super Speedway, and it's in the middle of Alabama, and it's like you know, kind of in the middle of nowhere. And it is a party, and it is like, <laughs> I mean, there's there's a hundred thousand people camping in the infield that are partying until three o'clock in the morning, and it's a party <laughs> that that it's like a party and a race happens, right? Yeah. It's like kind yeah. of one of those things. That and I mean, when I went to Austria, I saw that, and I go like, I mean, th- these are like our people. I mean, and, and it's and on top of that, it's it's like the greatest racing you could you could ever watch. So yeah. it's just it, it checks every box for me, and it's um and it's a really really great um, way for Trackhouse to take that next level as a as a motorsports company. Cool. C- coming into the championship as an American as an American team with a reputation, I think, for maybe coming from a place where things are done a little bit differently. And bring in that NASCAR experience. Are we going to see, apart from what we see in terms of of what we expect from Trackhouse in terms of storytelling and content, are we going to see things differently elsewhere well, from you guys? Yeah, well, you? I hope so. I mean, I think that you know we have a lot of learning to do before that. I yeah. mean, like I said earlier, we're not we're not coming in there saying you know we're gonna we're gonna throw this thing on its head right now. We're gonna show everybody how it's done. Like that's not yeah. us. I mean, we we you know we're really gonna absorb 2024 and go to these races and learn how the fan base in Thailand is different than the one in France and different than the one in Texas and the different one, the one in Japan and, and really sort of take the aggregate of all those experiences and distill that down into a place where we can then have really creative discussions about how does Trackhouse live authentically and uniquely in this space. We've been able to do that in NASCAR. Um, The good news is that, you know, there's no bumpers on our lanes. I mean, like we don't, we don't have, we're not in a box. I mean, we're yes. creative people, and 
we are passionate people and um, we're open to everything and anything. I think what's what's really exciting for our team and our group at Trackhouse is, you know, we've always been a team that's that's tried to be culturally relevant and and diverse. You know, we've got the first born, uh, the first um, Mexican born driver to ever win an NASCAR Cup race yeah. in our car, which is a great story. And we 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 are an American company, but we truly want to be a global brand. So that manifests itself in 2024 as an American owned team on Italian race bikes with a Portuguese and a Spanish rider. Like that's the coolest thing ever. And so we're going to, you know, we're going to, we're going to learn as we go through this experience to find our way in this sport. And, and so it's going to, you know, it's going to take some time. It's take, it it took some time in NASCAR. It's a journey. It's not a destination and it's constant reinvention and transcendence. I would say that the good thing is, is that, you know, we are, we're, op- we're always open to learn and we're always creatively minded and we're always thinking and observing and going, wouldn't this be cool or wouldn't that be cool? And I think because we have that personality and we have the team at Trackhouse behind us yep. to be able to do that, I, I think that, you know, we're going to be able to do some really cool things. Cool. And then just finally, before I let you get away, we're an hour before the team launch. Yep. We're a few days before the first test of the season. We're sort of eight weeks on from the last time that you and I spoke shortly after the whole project was announced. Has that process of putting everything together, has it changed the expectations for 2024 or... No, no. I mean, I, I think that we're, we challenge ourselves with being very responsible in how we manage our expectations. Um, and you know, not to be redundant, but but it really is a uh, an exercise right now in in learning. I mean, people have asked me, "What what are your expectations for the year? Can you win a race? Can you you know how many podiums do you think? You know, do, where do you want to finish in the championship? Where do you want to finish in the ranking among independent teams?" And I, we don't think like that right now. I mean, I think that in a few years, yeah, that can be our expectations. But right now, we want to make sure that that we we build you know a great team of people that are motivated cohesive and doing great work it's in you know it's very important to have uh, happy and motivated riders um, and we got to be out in the market telling our story to be able to attract great sponsors to the MotoGP World Championship um, and you know I think those those are the things that we will focus on in our first year the results you know they'll take we'll see where we'll see what they are i mean you know we we don't design or build the bike so i'm you know i'm poking massimo on the shoulder going like this thing's gonna be good right this thing's gonna be good and um and uh and i've seen the new bike and it's it's uh you know it's special it's a special motorcycle and um and if it you know we hope that it works well and if it works well then then um you know we'll see where the we'll see where we stack up but but right now it's about establishing ourselves you know, in this amazing sport and building a great team of people that are, that are, you know, work together really, really well and take advantage of the equipment that we have and doing the best job that we can and delivering, you know, value for our sponsors and, and, um, you know, hoping, you know, helping to, um, you know, helping to make our riders be the biggest stars they can be. Perfect. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Simon. Appreciate your time. Again, it's a theme that's been mentioned so many times since Mark's launched this MotoGP program, but 
one of the things that comes across so strongly in that interview is how much of a, a outright racing and bike racing fan he is. This is not someone, as you put it to him, Simon, someone who's just trying to make some more money for their business through a racing team. He's he's going to MotoGP in a team with not particularly obvious sponsorship right now because he really, really wants to do this. And um, that's that's very admirable. I mean, yeah, the fact that they're coming in with no money from no big money from many sponsors this year is it's a sign that they um that they're serious about this they yeah. they wanted a MotoGP team for 2025 all of that plan was already in motion and whenever it appeared emerged that there'd be an opportunity to do it literally a full year earlier uh it was always going to be difficult to put commercial agreements in place that fast but they were still committed enough to run the MotoGP team that they jumped at it. They, they took their opportunity and here we are launching the team and looking at their new colours, which are a little bit devoid of bike, of, of big names. But given this team's commercial success and given the, the lineup of sponsors that they have in NASCAR in particular, you'd imagine it's not too long until there's a, a decent name appear on the side of the bike. You know, it might even happen throughout this season. And when we say decent name, whenever you look at the people that they work with in I mean, in America, we're not talking small companies. We're talking Coca-Cola. They, they, they're operating at probably the highest level of sponsorship in terms of the people that they're able to bring in. So, yeah, it's it's a good sign of it's a good sign of a commitment to the championship that they've come in the way that they have. I think um, it, it it isn't a worry for me that they don't have a sponsor right now. And I think it. It really reiterates the fact that Marks is just a race fan, um, and I've I've spent quite a bit of time this weekend with his friend and, and colleague PJ Rashidi, who will become the team principal of the the MotoGP project, and he is exactly the same. Uh, really looking forward to seeing PJ in the MotoGP paddock. Actually, he's the the one that'll be here on a on a day to day basis, as opposed to Marks picking and choosing the races that he comes to. And, you know, the the one takeaway from this weekend is, my God, he is a different character from the the Lynn Jarvises and the Lucio Chacanellos of the world. Um, I mean, let, let's talk some specifics on the on the sponsor side. If you look at the bike right now, it is or it is not that different to what they unveiled initially for the launch of their program at the end of last season, which was the sort of adaptation of the Nicky Hayden uh, Stars and Stripes testing livery, which they showed off. And this this new bike that they will race this year does not look meaningfully that different with just some more branding obviously the, like the big sponsor you will notice is apart from aprilia the big sponsor you will notice is sterile garda which is the italian dairy company which those who regularly watch grand prix racing will recognize as the the brand on the max biaggi moto 3 bikes while that was still a thing and last year sterile garda was already on the on the rnf aprilia bikes, so you know the max biaggi aprilia connection is a, it remains a pretty strong one. So Star Garda are actually a long, long, long time Max Biaggi personal sponsor. Yeah. Right back to the days whenever he first went to uh, World Superbikes on a black Ducati that I can't remember who ran the team, but it was Star Garda branded back then, I think, with, with Shaky Burn as a teammate. We're talking like like 2008, 2009. So I'd imagine that the, um, the fact that they've been a long-term sponsor of Max and that he's heavily involved with Aprilia means that there's been some sort of a connection there where he's been able to, you know, help Aprilia 
put at least one sponsor in place with them for this year, especially considering that the fact that their colours are red, white and blue fits perfectly onto the bike. Yeah, and I, I think there was something on, on social media from Biaggi's racing team setup suggesting that there's some sort of closer cooperation planned. What that will look like, we'll, we'll find out what that exactly means. We'll find out. Besides Theragarda, I mean, I guess GoPro is the big big brand there, but it's not like a, a huge logo. So clearly there's there's space to fill out on that bike, certainly. Um, I, I would, I would slightly object to the categorization and I don't, I don't think this is what you're trying to say, Matt, but I think he is here to make money. And I think that comes across when, when Justin Marks talks about it is one of the things he always brings up, uh, since the announcement of this project is that he feels there is an untapped market here to where with a relatively low initial investment and the opportunity compared to maybe some of the other international motorsport programs, you could really reap the financial benefit going forward, which is fair enough. He's a businessman. You know, he runs a very successful NASCAR team. Uh, all the things he does in, in this industry, they they have to make financial sense. And it's, you know, it's fair enough that when you set up a team, obviously you want silverware, but you also want a return on your investment. But it is it is important to me that I think clearly they do want silverware. And that's that's not something you can necessarily take for granted. And I'm not I'm not really thinking of any team in particular here, but you know, there's always a danger of you know companies coming in and you know for just a little bit of exposure or just you know just blatant rent seeking. They just you know they just come in when there's a grid spot to be filled and they fill it and they run the bare minimum program that they can and they you know they run the old bikes, they run the oldest bikes possible. And they're there until they can be there while they're there, while they're being allowed to be on the grid and they collect the, the checks from being on the grid. But without really any sort of aims to go any higher than just being a satellite team running 15th, 16th or whatever, doesn't matter as long as you're, you know, cashing the checks and the TV checks from the from the participation. And the sign that Justin Marsh has been pushing so hard to have the factory spec of really is right away. Because that will that will both help the Aprilia product and that will obviously help Trackhouse be more competitive down the line. I think that is a very, very promising sign. Because he didn't have to do it for, for this year. They could have run year olds and none of us would have said anything. But the fact that they're pushing to do it, I, I think is is quite telling. Yeah, I think you raise a fair point, Val. I, I uh, possibly characterise this as something that Marx is doing out of sheer enthusiasm. I liked it just as much when he pointed out what great value MotoGP is in terms of brand exposure. He's clearly, like you said, Simon, very commercially savvy as well. He wouldn't be in the position he is in without without that. And Val, when you were talking about kind of basically renting spaces on the grid, I, I think we both, well, three of us were thinking of various teams down the last 20 years that kind of turned up, looked dodgy, disappeared fairly quickly. And it's clearly, clearly not one of those. But yeah, there's, I like the fact that as well as knowing MotoGP's value, knowing what, uh, what how he can make it a financial success, he's also raving about a Moto3 race that he saw last season. I think that's the clear difference between this program and some of the the other recent, recent arrivals. Um, in the absence of big name sponsors of course the livery right now just screams america usa basically and that is a very big selling point for MotoGP of getting track house on this grid the, the, the days of american riders fighting for titles are a long time ago uh, of american riders even being on the grid uh, you know america having uh, usa having three races on the calendar is a long time ago as well this is a, a nation with a, a massive motorcycle racing heritage that's created some real heroes in the past and has absolutely faded from view in MotoGP terms, apart from you know, obviously Austin being a very successful race. 
And at the same time, America's noticed Formula One and a lot of Formula One's 2020s popularity rise is down to America getting on board. And MotoGP must be looking at that and thinking, hang on, this was, this was ours? And now, you know, you've really made a success of this and, and we're just not on not on the USA radar relatively in the, in the same way. Now, obviously, it's good business for Dawn to therefore get American representation on the grid. A NASCAR team is a great way of tapping into American motorsport interest. But uh, I think I'm going to throw this to you first, Simon, because you have got a bit of an instinct to this at the launch in particular. Basically, can Trackhouse it alone revive American interest in MotoGP? I'm going to caveat that before I even let you answer, actually, because I'm not uh, denigrating MotoGP's American fan base, because I know actually some of our most loyal listeners on this podcast do come from the USA. We always get so many USA questions um, when we throw out for listener questions. So those of you that are following MotoGP in America right now, I don't doubt your passion in the slightest. I just wish there was quite a few more of you, because frankly, MotoGP deserves it. But to actually let you answer, Simon, what can Trackhouse do to, to turn things around on this front? So couple of points before we before I go into answering your actual question. Um, there is a super, super hardcore American MotoGP fan base right now, but like you say, there's a limited number of them. And I think there's almost no casual fans in the US anymore. There's no one who just tunes in to watch a few races a year because, oh yeah, it's a Sunday afternoon and MotoGP is in, insert wherever here. Uh, that's something that we struggle with because while we love having the hardcore fans who know as much about the sport as we do. I think it, it takes both to make a, a product successful um, because you need to convert casual fans. You know, you need to start someone as a casual fan to convert them into hardcore fans. So there's work to be done. Secondly, uh, Trackhouse have unveiled a very American looking bike. They, you know, they've, they've unveiled a bike with a big flag on the side of it at a time where in America, flying a flag can be a bit of a statement given the politics of the country here. Uh, but it's fair to say the track house aren't being political with this. They're, they're proud patriotic Americans, but they're not looking to make some sort of a political point um, with, with one side or the other or anything like that. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting to hear someone who simultaneously talks about how proud they are of their country and their flag, but then is also talking about what they need to do to increase the diversity in the sport. So there's there's both sides here. This is not a, a political statement. Um, beyond that, I, I don't think they're fighting this battle alone in terms of trying to turn around the sport in the US. It is no surprise whatsoever that all of this has happened very, very shortly after the new second in command of Dorna, who is an American, came into power, came into his position. And I think that Dan Rossimondo, as chief commercial officer, has immediately targeted having more American involvement in MotoGP as his biggest priority. And this is maybe more than anything else the, the first big step we're seeing in Dan's impact to the championship. So this isn't a case of, of just parachuting in track house and saying, okay, it's your job now to make MotoGP great again in America. Thanks very much. Uh, let us know if you need anything. It, it's a it's a more integrated approach than that. There is already talk of what we can do to 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 promote Austin to a bigger lever in the, the U.S. Grand Prix. There, uh, we've just this morning before starting to record this podcast published a story about the future of the Argentinian Grand Prix, which in, in part may not happen this year because of a plan to protect the American Grand Prix to an extent. 
And we know that there's other circuits in America looking to enter the calendar in the near future, including one that's you know literally on the doorstep of both Trackhouse and Justin Marks' home in Nashville in Tennessee. So the, there's more coming. There's a bigger picture here than just putting an American team with an American flag onto the grid and seeing what happens. Um, it, it's, I think... It's a, it's it's not the solution. It's a signal of a whole pivot towards MotoGP that we're we're going to notice more and more as this year progresses. One thing we haven't touched on so far is the, what this team's actual prospects are now. It could feel hard to get excited about the prospect of a team that was, what, eighth in the team's championship last year and riders in Miguel Oliveira and Raul Fernandez who were 16th and 20th in the riders' championship last year and what they're going to achieve in 2024. There are a lot of caveats to that, of course. You look at it another way, this is the team that not not so long ago in its Petronas guys was fighting for championships and winning races with Fabio Quartararo and Franco Morbidelli. It's riders. Miguel Oliveira is a five-time MotoGP race winner who's dominated races in wet and dry conditions very impressively. Fernandez is a rider whose sole MotoGP Moto2 season was so impressive that Yamaha and KTM were fighting each other over him quite viciously, you know, but halfway through that year before he even got on the grid. Um, obviously, things haven't gone so well at all for Fernandez since he actually got to MotoGP. Since this team was Petronas, a lot has happened there. There have been quite a few um, hiccups along the way. And Oliveira, well, as I've mentioned once or twice on this podcast, between those brilliant wins, where is Oliveira? Often nowhere to be seen anywhere near the front of the field. Last year, obviously, a couple of heavy caveats in, in terms of injuries that weren't his fault. But Val, do you do you see Trackhouse being a particularly competitive force in its first MotoGP season? Uh, first of all, I should say, when you said eighth in the team's championship, I that really did really surprised me and i went i went to see how that's even possible and then i realized it's because honda had such a bad season yeah i was gonna say because not a honda was the <laughs> genuinely miguel Oliveira was injured all season and raul fernandez yeah. only started scoring in the in the second half basically so it is it is very surprising to me that they got as high up as eighth i don't think they were eighth on like peak of performance or anything um i would be surprised if there was well i i should say i I should say I don't know, which is which is a very boring sort of thing to say. But let's let's lay out the facts that we know. We know that basically, in terms of the team structure and the staff and the riders and the crew chiefs and all that business, it is the same. You know, the same team except with slightly different management, with with very different management. Okay, but it's 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 the same team. So we'll we'll be able to see in slightly laboratory-ish conditions whether having more certainty in in their future and more financial stability and all that and a closer cooperation with Aprilia how much difference that can make in in the short term. And I suspect quite a lot because again as you've mentioned the past record of this particular entity through all of its changes it is it is quite strong. Um Raul Fernandez will have the 2023 Aprilia to start the season with. Miguel Oliveira will have the 2024 immediately. They've done the quick turnaround for that, which means uh, Oliveira and the Works Aprilias cannot crash in testing because if they do, there's you know there's going to be problems for spare parts because they've had to accelerate everything so much in terms of the build of the new bikes. Um, we don't know what the 24 bike is like yet. We know it's you know the engine is apparently fairly similar. As as Massimo Rubola, uh, Prelia chief, told told Simon, the aero is apparently quite a significant departure. So we'll see how how difficult that is for a place like Trackhouse, 
being, you know, not not new because again, all of their staffers are established staffers, but new to the works team experience, the works machinery experience, how difficult it's going to be to dial in what's in place. And Miguel Oliveira has already preached a bit of caution for the start of the season that he expects quite a complicated adaptation period. At the same time, Raul Fernandez will be on the 23 to start things off. And maybe for, for a, like depends on how much he likes it and depends on how much he wants the 24. But on the 23, he was really good in Valencia. He was really good in the postseason test when they gave, gave that bike to him for the first time. He was super quick, reeling, if, reeling off really good lap times, just running really good race pace. But his, his, his MotoGP base has been fragile. So we have to we have to see more proof. So it's a bit of a it is a bit of a Pandora's box at the moment. I I would not be surprised if the first few rounds are relatively anonymous. Honestly, I would not be shocked. At the same time, if Raúl Fernández's twenty twenty three bike affinity is legit, then sky's the limit, baby. But I I think we'll we'll have to see this as very much a learning season. And again, it's it's kind of a bonus because they did start a year earlier than than they planned. Not so much for the riders, because again, the riders have to sort out their futures and their long-term futures with Aprilia or with whoever else. They have to be doing that from race one, from practice one. This is a harsh, harsh world in that regard. Yeah, it's very tempting to see 2024 as as a kind of bonus. You're here a year early. You potentially haven't got the riders who you would have picked if you were coming into this championship with the clear run you expected kind of season for for Trackhouse and Marks. Simon, do you... Do you see either of these guys who are there at the moment having a long-term future with, with Trackhouse? I think that based on the way that they talk about him, I think Miguel Oliveira, I'm not so sure where he fits in the long-term project, uh, both as, as a Trackhouse writer and as a Prelia writer. I, I don't know is the honest answer. Um, there's not the same energy about him within the team as there is about his teammate. And I just... Yeah, I, I don't know is the honest answer to that. Um, I think that he is maybe one of the guys that we're going to potentially be looking at seeing squeezed a little bit in terms of where he ends up in the near future in MotoGP because he's not the youngest. Um, he's not had a great season last year. Maybe. Um, that's a, a difficult one to ask. It's certainly a more difficult one to ask or to answer than... than Raul Fernandez's future, because I think whatever you listen to Aprilia management in particular about how they see him, he is their big prospect for the future. They want to keep him real badly. Uh, Massimo Rivola has, has made no secret of that over the over the whole course of, of, of him being an Aprilia rider and all the way through this like slow, steady process we've seen of him learning how to ride the bike. They've been really, really, really like strongly behind him. So I, I I don't know whether that means he's a track house future prospect or whether he's a factory future prospect, depending on what happens there next year, depending on whether or not Alessio Spagaro decides he is going to retire or isn't going to retire, which he, he sort of changes his mind on every time we ask him about it. Um, so it, it's difficult to get a sense right now of who they're going to be looking at for 2025. One thing that I, I think is certain is that they're not going to go shopping for American riders and put in someone that's not capable or not ready just to have an American in this team. Um, that's that's not been their way in NASCAR, where their their rider lineup is a you know a full on mix of Australian and American and Mexican with a Finnish Formula One driver thrown in for laughs at 
points in it. And, you know, they've had all sorts going on in F1. They're, they're not, or in, in NASCAR, they're not tied to the American thing. And from speaking to Marks, they're not tied to it in MotoGP as well. Uh, it was notable that Moto2 rider Joe Roberts was at the team launch on on Friday night. But I, I think that was as much because the team launch was on his doorstep and because they, they invited essentially every former American MotoGP Grand Prix rider that they could find along to it. And that included John Hopkins, who manages Roberts. I, I think it was more uh, fortuitous than design that he was here. Um, so so I wouldn't read too much into that. And yeah, beyond that, I, I get the impression that they're going to spend this year and the first half of this year saying, hey, look, we're the hot new satellite team with the factory bikes and we want to win things. And that could lead to a few surprises in the rider lineup because it might attract in someone who you maybe wouldn't even necessarily consider for a satellite team ride, you know, like the Marco Bezeckis of the world. Just to, to, to help us avoid an international incident here, uh, their NASCAR Australian is in fact a Kiwi. So. <laughs> oh yeah, he is, isn't he? <laughs> Careful. There. Yeah, it's the same thing. <laughs> yeah, Shane Van Gisbergen. A, a, ki- yeah. a Kiwi with an excellent record in Australian motorsport in, in Shane Van Gisbergen. But yeah, a Kiwi, you're right. My, my Australian wife would be very keen to point out that Kiwi is just their lost state anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> There's your international incident right there. Yeah, yeah I was going to say straight back into, into diplomacy. Well done. Johnny, do you need the time code for that? <laughs> to, 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 to cut it. <laughs> So yeah, I can see I can see Aprilia even by the standards of the whole 2025 rider market. Aprilia being a very volatile destination across both its teams. If Trackhouse starts making some waves, knowing how good we all think this Aprilia might be with the right riders on it, and as it keeps making progress, and yeah, like you said, it could be some interesting people who uh, who Marks feels emboldened to chase going into 2025. Um, that is a conversation for another day, though, because 2024 is going to start in earnest for MotoGP very soon with testing beginning at Sepang. It's time for the shakedown test, first of all, which for most of the last few years has been a case of test riders riding around behind closed doors. A little bit different this year, which also means, Simon, you're having to go to Sepang a little bit earlier than you might otherwise intend to. You're heading to, your, your travel is just ridiculous at the moment, so you're in LA for how much longer before going to Malaysia via the rest of the world? Uh, it is currently Sunday morning at 8am and I leave here Tuesday evening at 8pm to fly to London, then to fly to Dublin, then to fly to Doha and then to fly to Kuala Lumpur. And because we're going the long way around the world for reasons I'm not getting into, um, we, we leave here on Tuesday and we arrive on Friday morning. <laughs> so it, it's taken three days. Yeah, sorry about that. But it will be hopefully potentially worth it because the Sepang Shakedown test, although it, you're you'll be able to get in there there is some media access to it not quite the full the full array of media facilities on offer but you'll be able to see some proper riders and proper teams beginning their 2024 preparations and and getting a few early clues before testing starts properly thanks to the concession system um in case any listeners are unaware of why this this shakedown test is becoming a little more important this year and because Lots of people who don't have concessions are turning up to spy on the people who do have concessions. We've actually got a few uh, sort of interesting features planned because there's lots of people in the paddock who know more about MotoGP than I do and who have nothing else to do but to talk to me. 
Yeah, which bodes very well for next week's podcast. So we'll leave it there for now. Um, thank you, Simon. Thank you, Justin Marks and Trackhouse. Thank you, Val. And uh, thank you, listeners, for your company on this one. We'll be back in your ears at the start of next week, talking about everything that's happened at the Shakedown and everything that's to come in the first proper preseason test. The Athletic.